0: And I guess I should say, welcome back, everybody. <laughs> it's good to see everybody. Good summer? Okay, good. <laughs> I know. Um, every uh, year, our family has a theme verse, and that's not my doing. This is my wife's doing. It's, it's, it's been a great, great thing for our family. It's, it's, it's an idea that she had. Uh, probably about 10 years ago when our kids started school. And we'd start the year with just a verse that would be something that we would unite around, something that our family would be further rooted in, and something that we would continually call ourselves back to, hold each other as a family to this verse. Um, And so I thought, wow, Crossroads, we're a family. Um, We... We're at a place in our, in our history where we could have a theme verse for the year. And uh, I think it's just so important for us as a church to not forget who we are and what we're doing here. And this verse might flush out better than any verse in the Bible who we are supposed to be as a church, God's purpose for us. What he has for us. And it's 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Uh, Let's stand and let's read this together. How about if you just repeat after me? But you are a chosen people, a a royal priesthood, A priesthood. a a holy nation, God's. Treasure, treasure that you may declare, may declare the praises of him who called you out of, you out, of darkness, of darkness. And, into and into his wonderful light. Amen. You can be seated. <laughs> yeah, I got one amen. Amen. Our church is getting bigger. And I think anyone who, who's been coming to Crossroads long enough knows that this is not something that we aspired to. This was not something that we sought. This is not something that, that we had planned. In fact, I had to go through my own season of, of, of wrestling with this because, if anything, uh, we sought to be something quite small, something under the radar, something very local, uh, but God has made it very clear to me uh, that this is what he has for us and, and 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 that we are to embrace this. But embracing this, that this being become a bigger church, we need to understand that becoming a, a bigger church, a very large church, is a very dangerous thing. It's, it's, it's dangerous because we are in danger of of losing what God intended for the church to be, his purposes. Um, And I want you to know that starting with myself, the elders, and, and, and the leaders of this church, we're in a fight. We are not going to just slip into becoming a big church and losing what God wants for us as a church. And so we are in a fight. I'm asking you to join me in this fight. And, and, and you ask, well, what are you fighting for? Everything that we're fighting for is in the text that we just read. And so one of the little steps that I'd like to put on all of us is that we'd memorize this text, that we'd hide this in our heart. Because it starts with this, we are a chosen people. The church is not a bunch of programs. The church is not a building. The church is not a specific place. The church is not a Sunday morning service. And I know you're kind of thinking to yourself, duh, I mean, I mean, we've been coming to Crossroads long enough to know all of this, or you already knew all this before you came to Crossroads. Um, you guys have to get ready. It, it, it's football season, and so a lot of my you know, stories are going to be football-related. Forgive me for that, but... Um, It's kind of who I am. Actually, don't forgive me for that. Um, I love football, I coach football, um, and tis the season. Greatest football coach ever is who? Thank you. Thank you for getting that question right. Vince Lombardi. Um, (laughs) What? Okay, now be quiet. (laughs) We love participation, we love interaction, but not not that, no. (laughs) (laughs) Early in Vince Lombardi's career, after he had literally uh, been one touchdown away from winning the championship. So close. He came back the next season, first practice, stood before his team with football in hand, and said, team, let me introduce you to this. This is a football. And he, this, is what, this is why Vince Lombardi was so successful. He never got away from the basics and teaching the basics. Because when you lose the basics, you just lose. You lose everything. Crossroads, we are a people. And that is the church. A people. In fact, uh, th- this word uh, for people in, in the original langu- language is the Greek word uh, genos, uh, from which we get the word gene or genes or or genealogy, and because the word really means family. We are a, a, a family. And, and, and think about everything that a family is supposed to be. Family is, is, is supposed to be that place where, where you're most known, where you're most loved, where you most belong, um, and all of that without conditions. Family is, is the place where you're named, where you're given an identity, where you're called to live up to that name. I mean, I tell my kids all the time, I just said it to Bennett as I dropped him off at Michigan, you are a Vinsalkama. Live like it. (laughs) I said other things. We're not just (laughs) Vinsalkamas, but because there are more important things like having our identity rooted in Christ, but but as Vinsalkamas, we love Christ. And we stand for things. And we have values that have been pasted on almost every room of our house. Vensalcomas love God. Vensalcomas love people. Vensalcomas tell the truth. Vensalcomas work hard. Vensalcomas look out for the underdog. Man, you're a Salcoma. don't forget it. Families also... Supposed to be the place where we can go with all of our stuff. We can let our hair down. We can put our feet up. We can we can share the things that make us happy. We can unload uh, our pain and our hurt, knowing that we're surrounded with a bunch of people that love us and want to shoulder those things with us. That's family. And Peter, in this verse, says, you are a people, a genos, a, a, a family. And we're, we at Crossroads, we're, we're, we're going to fight for this, and we're going to fight for this knowing sometimes that uh, even things like buildings and services can sometimes even work against this or make us forget what we actually are as the church, And if you want to know why we took 2 weeks and tailgated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. Um it, 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 it I understand that when we step out of this, uh something that is controlled, something where it is is all ordered, you guys are all in rows, um that that we are stepping into an unknown, we're stepping into something that's potentially very awkward, um, not just awkward for some, but awkward maybe even for many. But I'll tell you what that was. That was a little bit of a test. I, I, I wanted to find out where our church was. And there are, there's much to celebrate. I mean, I had so many people come up to me and say, I have never met so many people at Crossroads. I had one person say, who hadn't hardly met anyone at Crossroads after coming here for a whole year, say, do you rise, Rod, today I met 20 people. We're going to fight. And then I know some of you just said, that, that that's not church. That's not legitimate. In fact, some of you found a Church to go to. Listen, you guys can miss Sunday morning, but not that Sunday. Not the Sunday that we have devoted to be a people. Okay, Libby said, "Don't spank too hard." I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> but again, we're 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 in this fight, a fight. We're not just a service. The church is not a building. The church is a people. We are to be a family. I'm not even going to say we're to be the best family on earth. I think God says that. But can we just be a good family? A good family that loves each other. That connects to each other. Because it scares me. I want us to see the danger of when people walk into this place like this morning as a stranger and all they do is see a bunch of strangers. And then somehow we're supposed to be okay with that. We have a very high view of worship and I'm not just talking about all of life being worship but I'm talking even about gathering and singing, knowing that God inhabits the praise of his people. We have a high view of God's word, and not just that we know it and study it for for ourselves, but that we gather around God's word collectively to hear it proclaimed. But if that's all we are, and in that forget that we are a people, a family... We have settled for a lesser thing. And we are in a dangerous place. And we are going to fight to be the church that God has established, that Jesus came to the world to die for. He died for the church. And so, here's just one thing I'm going to put out there right now in light of this. Would you guys join us in this fight? And, and, and if you're a stranger, would you do everything you can to not be a stranger? And, and, and if you're well-connected, uh, would you do everything that you can, that when we gather, that you're not just um, defaulting to the people that you know, but you're looking for strangers, and, and, and you're showing the affection of Christ uh, to, to, to people that you don't know. You're, you're welcoming them in. And then can, can, can we also in this year commit to something outside of a sunday morning can you find a place we have all kinds of other places in crossroads a a a place where where you're known and where you're knowing others a place where where you're loved and 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 you're learning to love others a a place where where people together collectively are, are growing in christ They have their eyes fixed on Christ. They're striving to become like Christ, um, a place that's on mission for Christ. We're a people. And Peter even pushes this further. We're not just a people, um, but he says we're a chosen people. A chosen people. I want us to just let that fall into our hearts. I want us to just think about that, that God, the God of the universe who who, who made the whole world, that he picked us, that that, that he looked at us and he said, I want them. And it's not just that. I I want them uh, to be in my family. I I, I want them to be on my team. And, and, And when God picked us, He didn't just pick us so that he could place this status on us and give us this special privilege. He didn't just pick us so that we could just go to heaven someday. He picked us for a purpose. Massive purpose. The next thing Peter says, uh, you are a chosen people. You are a holy nation. Holy there doesn't mean perfect Holy means set apart, to be distinct. Because here's what God wants in our nation and in every nation in the world He wants His nation, His people, a counterculture. A people that are distinct from the nation around them. Distinct in in how they love God. How they walk with God. Distinct in in how they conduct business. Distinct in how they do family. How they do life. How they do relationships. How they do um, race relations. How they take care of the poor. How they care about their city. That's what God is putting on us. That's an awesome call. Now, one of the most amazing things about 1 Peter 2, verse 9, is this verse is not original. Peter's actually quoting. And he's taking um, the Septuagint version of this verse in the Old Testament, which tells me, you don't know what the Septuagint is, it's, it's a Greek, Greek translation of, of the Old Testament, and so um, he is word for word quoting a, a verse in the Bible, but using the Greek Septuagint uh, translation of that verse, so it doesn't go word for word, but it is the verse, and it's, it's Exodus 19, 4 to 6. And let me just first just even give you the context of, 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 of when that was first spoken. It was spoken by God. It, it, God speaks this right after the first Passover when God dramatically redeems his people from Egypt. And then right before the first Pentecost when Israel approaches Mount Sinai like a bride. And, and as Israel approached Mount Sinai in that way... Fire came down. It engulfed the mountain. The earth shook. Because what was happening is God was actually coming down to them as a husband. And and the text in Exodus 19 says, And the people saw the very glory of God. They beheld God in all his glory. And what is God's glory? God's glory is his raw, awesome, uh, all-powerful, all-beautiful presence. And that's the context of Exodus 19, where God says, you, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and how I brought you to myself. Now, if you remain fully committed to me, you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation You will be my people and I will be your God. That's the context of this amazing moment when a people who were not a people became the very people of God. And Peter has the audacity, the audacity to apply this verse to us the church. We're a people like Israel. They've been called out. We've been called out of something. Israel's called out of slavery. Peter says we've been called out of darkness, but we're not just a called out of, of, of something. We are also a called into people We've been called into, Peter says, his wonderful light. We've been called into his glory. The same glory that, that came down on the mountain at Mount Sinai, that infinite, all powerful, all beautiful presence of God that dwelled with his people. That glory. That glory now lives in us. That glory, the glory of God. The glory of God. His powerful presence. His stunning beauty. It's in us. And see, if you, if you read the whole chapter of 1 Peter 2, you, you start to realize that this is Peter's main point, because look at verse 4 and 5. I know you probably don't have your Bibles open, because I didn't ask you to have your Bibles open, so I'll just, I'll, I'll read this. I didn't even have my Bible open. But Peter says, As you come to him, the living stone, the living temple, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. He's referring to Jesus. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And here Peter is is using words that are are, are a little bit weird to us. He's using words like stones, spiritual house, priesthood, sacrifices. Uh, But what Peter is talking about is a temple. Now, we don't live in a world with temples, so it's it's all quite foreign to us. But temples in that world were as common as gas stations are to our world. I mean, they were everywhere on almost every street corner. In fact, to the ancient, it was inconceivable uh, for there to be a God and that God not to have a temple. Every God had a temple. And the temple wasn't so much a place of worship in the ancient world. The temple was the actual home, the house the living space to that God. And I I think it's amazing then, when you read the biblical story, that God, I mean, he's so contextual. He actually takes what is so common um, to humankind and he's like, okay, this is how the world uh, wants to think about God, so I'll live in a temple. And he tells his people, build me a house. And they build him a house. And what happens? His glory comes down and fills it. And then God even contextualizes it even more. Um, He he says, okay, I'm going to be a temple. And his glory comes down and he becomes a walking temple. Jesus said, I am the true temple. And now it it goes even further than this because Peter says, Together we as God's people are are being built into God's house, the the, the actual place where, where, where God is going to dwell in all his glory and power and beauty. It's in us. Not you or you or you in us, as we are being built, not stone upon stone, but person upon person, and all some of you right now are thinking, wait a second, I was taught that 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 Jesus comes and he He lives in my heart and the Holy Spirit comes and he he lives in me. I'm not going to refute that, but I think you'd be shocked how little that is in the Bible. Find it for me because I can't. In fact, if you want to say, well, well doesn't God live in, in all the individual stones if, if, if we're to the extent that the stone is in the house? I mean, that's why Paul, when he says that you are the temple of God, it's not you singular. It's you all. Or as I grew up hearing, it's you guys What Paul's saying. He's, he's an us. I, I think we need to think about the implications of this, that, that, that we together are God's house, because that means then, if you truly want to find God, if you truly want to experience God, if you truly want to see him high and lifted up, if you want to know his power, experience his glory, You can't just be a stone. You have to be a stone in God's house. Now that makes me ask the next question. If we are God's house in which God God's glory lives. Where is his glory? And I'm not asking that in any kind of a critical way. I'm actually asking that, and I get a smile on my face. Because I know that, 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 that when we gather, not because of anything that we do, but because of who God is, he's here. He's with us, Emmanuel. But then I look at, at, at our scene today. I, I, I look at the world. I look at how much our world needs God. I, I, I think of the the, the 50 million born again Christians. I think of even all of our resources that we as Christians have today, and all of our activity and and, and our programs. And but and, and sometimes I'm, I I I am left in light of all that asking, where is God? Is God coming down? Is is, is his glory being seen? Is his power being unleashed? And here's the deal. If, If God is to come down, if his glory is to be seen, if his power is to be unleashed in our world, It's going to be through us. And not us as a bunch of individuals, individualistically trying to meet God and please God and and, and be God to the world, but it's going to be through us as his church that's being built together into the house of God. Where God's glory comes down and fills it. And I, love, I, I love Isaiah 64, verse 1. Oh God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. This isn't a club. This isn't even an organization. This is the church. A spiritual household being built into the very house of God. I want that. I want to be a people that pray that. And see, this is why God chose us. This is why we're not just a people, but we are a chosen people. It's not for privilege. It's for purpose. It's for massive purpose. It's, it, it, it's the purpose where, where we would become that people, that place where God's glory and his very presence would, would, would come down and, and not just fill us, but, but also enter into us and through us enter the world. And Peter's not done yet. He says, you are also a royal priesthood. Again, the ancient world, um, every god had its temple and every temple had its priests. And we have talked about this before. Um, the, the purpose of a priest in the ancient world, it, it was twofold. Um, they essentially stood in the gap. They stood in the gap between the god and the worshipers. And as they stood in the gap, uh, the twofold thing that they would do, the first thing that they would do is they would represent the God to the people, to the worshipers, because the worshipers couldn't see God. Uh, But for them to know what the God is like, it was the priest. It was the priest's job to show the worshiper who God is, what God is like, to put that God on display And then their other job was to represent the people to the God. And they would stand in the gap here. And uh, because the God was holy, you couldn't just approach the God any way you wanted. You needed a priest who would wash you up and do prayers and sacrifices so you could approach the God. And so they would plead on your behalf as you approach God. And Peter says... You are to be that. All of you. All of you, a people who stand in the gap, who put the God on display so so the world can see what the God is like. And then you stand in the gap on behalf of the people, pleading for them, priesting on their behalf, So that they can come into fellowship with the God. And so, this notion of having a professional class of priests is made obsolete by the New Testament. Every Christ follower is a priest. To do what? to do what the text says, to declare the praises of God. To put him on display as supremely excellent, majestic, awesome, wonderful. And to stand in the gap on behalf of the people between the God and to plead for them. Are you acting as a priest? As a husband, I am to be a priest. I am to stand in the gap and I am to plead on behalf of my wife. As a father, and this includes Libby as well, as a mother, we are priests in our home. It's probably the highest calling I have as a father. It's to stand in the gap, to plead for them, priest on behalf of them. As a coach, this is why I coach. I get 22 kids five days a week. This isn't about football. It's discipleship on a platter. It's like easy. (laughs) Get the priest. And I don't know who you are. I don't know what you do. I don't know if you're a banker. I don't know if you're a truck driver. I don't know if you're a student. I don't know if you're a homemaker. I don't know where you are in your world, but... Don't look to this professional class of pastors and clergy to do the work of the ministry. We are all priests. The church is not an institution. And sociologists talk about the difference between an institution and a movement. An institution is top-down. A movement is organic and bottom-up. Institutions are static and rigid to change. Movements are dynamic and pulsating with life. Institutions care about themselves, their turf, they're ingrown, and they're centered upon a few people who are in power. Movements are about every participant, and they exist for something outside themselves. The church is not an institution. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist to declare the praises of God for the sake of the world. And we are to be this dynamic, organic movement of God where every person is a priest. Everyone is declaring the praises of God to the world. I'm gonna tell you what my job is at this church and the job of the rest of the staff. Our job as staff is not to find out what God has for us as a church so much and then tell you all about it so you can serve that. Because at Pentecost, when God's spirit was poured out on all people and Peter got up and declared a sermon from Joel 2, he says, your young men and your young Girls and your are older and your younger and men, women—they are all going to dream dreams, and the spirit of God is going to fill them all. They're all going to be prophets. They're all going to be priests. And so, our jobs as a staff is this: it's to find out. The call that God is putting on you, the dreams of the kingdom that God is placing in your heart. And our job as a staff is to serve that and to train and to raise up and equip you to do the thing God is calling you. Does that make sense? And it'll be this healthy tension because God obviously is going to put things on our heart as a staff too that he's calling our church to. But it's to be this, 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 this wonderful both at, and of, of, of us working with you, you working with us. I'm sick of this whole idea. <clears throat> this, is why I, this is why I have notes because when I get off my notes, I, I step into a dangerous place. <laughs> Can we just get rid of this idea of a professional class of of of, of priests? It's not biblical. It, it, it's not the New Testament. I mean, I I, I find it amazing that, that the Romans called the Christians atheists. They're atheists. You know why they called them atheists? <laughs> they didn't have a temple. They didn't have priests and they didn't have sacrifices. And I would love to hear, and actually you can hear this echoed through, through the New Testament writers, how they're answering this, these questions. They're saying, where's your temple? Where's your priest? Where's your sacrifices? Jesus, Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the great high priest. And when he ascended to heaven, he gave us the baton and he said, you now are my house, my temple, and your lives are to be the living sacrifice. And you, you are now the priests. I can't end here because the question that is burning on my heart is, you read, you, you read about Exodus 19, as Israel approached God like a bride, and God coming down like a husband, and them seeing the glory of God, and then you read about that Pentecost in the New Testament, it's, 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 it's the same thing, it's the fulfillment of the first Pentecost, God coming down, and, and the fire, and the earth is shaking, and And God's glory is seen in in his people. Do we want that? Is that something we want to go for? Or do we just want to settle? We can't settle, we have to want it. We have to want to pray prayers like Isaiah 64, verse 11. Um, Oh, God, that that, that you would tear open the heavens and that you would come down, that you would come down in your glory and that the mountains and and, and the earth would tremble before you. Do we want that? I do. Our elders do. Our staff do does. I know you do as well. How does this happen? Like what catalyzes that? What, what, what ignites or detonates the presence of God, the glory of God, the power of God to come down and to fill his temple? And to break out of his temple into the world. Well, every time this has happened in history, because it has happened repeatedly, it's when people have a deeply profound experience of God and his grace. Martin Luther, Charles Wesley, the Welsh revivals, the Great Awakenings in the 1700s. I don't even know if you know the story about Korea, but if you wonder why so much of Korea is Christian, you need to understand that before 1900, less than 1% of that country was Christian, but the glory of God came down. And that whole nation repented and, 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 and turned to the Lord, almost the whole nation, It's because these movements are, are, are ignited by, by, by people being cut to the heart and, and having this profound experience of God's grace, which is why the verse after our theme verse is very important, and I think I have it memorized. But you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had once not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. And this, this, this verse is, is important and we need to attach it to our theme verse. Um, it, it, it's actually a quote from Hosea 2 verse 23 which should make us also ask then why is Peter quoting uh, this verse in this place? And if you know the book of Hosea, Hosea is, is, is a prophet. And, and, and what God instructs him is, is, is very strange because uh, God pretty much says to Hosea, I don't want you to tell the people um, who they are and what they become. I actually want you to show them. I want you to show them. And the way that you're going to show them how, how much I love them in light of what they've become Hosea, you see that prostitute, Gomer, go marry her. And Hosea marries her to, to, to show the people, God is saying, you know, this is what you once were, uh, but now you're, you're, you're my bride, I love you. But over time, as you read Hosea, uh, Gomer is going to return to her former life. She becomes grossly unfaithful. In fact, she starts having children. Uh, children not uh, from her husband, Hosea, but, but from other lovers. Um, that's why one of the children Hosea names Lo Ami. Lo Ami means not mine. That's not mine. And, and, and finally, Gomer leaves Hosea for another lover, but, but that lover is a pimp and traffics her. And, and one day she's being sold um, in, in the sex market and God comes to Hosea and he says, Hosea, go buy her back. Love her. Go love your wife again. And Hosea literally says, and so I went and I, and I bought her. And through all of this, God is showing Israel who they are and and what they have become. Israel, you, my bride, have, have become an adulterer. You've become grossly unfaithful, a prostitute. Therefore, loy me. You are not my people. Then God says, Hosea 2, verse 23. I will show my love to the one I called, not my people. And I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. In other words, Hosea, just as your wife turned from you, my wife, though she left me, forsook me, I will go, I will love her, I will buy her back, and not my people will once again become my people. And Jesus came to the world as a bridegroom and he came to a people who have been grossly unfaithful and he came to buy us back to bring us back into his family to redeem us and this is why peter uses the word not just we've been called into light but it's it's wonderful light we've been called into it's 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 awesome it causes our hearts to be like, wow! Do you know what you once were? Do you know what you are now? And do you know what it cost God to be able to say, you are my people, you are, though the whole earth is mine, you are what I treasure most, And see, when when, when we know this and, and we see what God did in Christ and at the cross, what it cost him to buy us back, that's what causes us to declare the praises of God to the world. To be the people of God. For the glory of God, the power of God, the kingdom of God. To break in. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's most treasured possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Crossroads, you are the church. Let's go live like it. Let's pray. God, I think of Pentecost. When it says, and the people were cut to the heart, they were just cut to the heart. Because they could see what they were, but they could see what you were doing to bring them back through Christ. God, that our, the eyes of our heart would be open, God, that, and that it would cause us to be cut to the heart, cut to the heart. causing us to not look at our world and say that's wonderful or that's wonderful, but God causing our hearts to look at you and, and, and to, from our heart just say, you're the most wonderful thing that exists. And you've done the most wonderful, awesome thing for a people who don't deserve it. God, that our eyes would see that. That our mouths would declare that. That our lives would live that. And God, that you then would tear open the heavens and come down and that the earth would shake. Because the glory of the Lord The glory of the Lord is in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for loving us with a jealous, a jealous love. That you pursued us and you found us you were willing to even go to the auction block and to buy us, to redeem us.